Hi there, everyone. I'm Jared. And I'm Zanita. We are your hosts of Record Live, a podcast where we talk about church, faith, and living well. We believe as followers of Jesus, faith is more than just a set of beliefs. It's a way of life, something we put into practice. Let's go live. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Record Live. Hello, Jared, my co-host. Welcome. Thank you, Zanita. It's great to be here. Awesome. And we have a guest back for the second time. Tanya Kursik is back with us. We spoke to you probably about two years ago, Tanya. Where are you now? Are you in Australia? Are you in Africa? Uh, Yeah, I'm doing a three-month trip in Australia. So yesterday was my two months up and I have one more month to go. And then I return back to Uganda. So it's always good to catch up with the churches and then anyone who's helped me just to say thank you and let them know what's being done just to keep them updated. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. For anyone who doesn't know, you can go back to the archives of 2022. Tanya's story in a nutshell, she was working the classic nine-to-five job in Sydney. She packed up, took a holiday to Africa, and then is still there today. We'd love to hear what you've been doing in the last few years since we last spoke to you. Uh, Just tell us a little bit about what the last couple of years Yeah, so the last time I spoke to you, I was starting from ground zero and that was the eight months of being in Australia. I had this vision in my head about getting a property and then doing training centres and the recovery centre and teaching the Bible and getting a lot of community. But it was just a vision in my head. And I don't know if you realise or not, but the, the record in June the 4th of that year you published on the record was a photo of me and the African children it actually came out on my birthday I don't know if you realized or not but it was my birthday and it was the Sabbath and then I got my most faithful donor that bought the land from me from the record Hmm. wow yeah so I just wanted to give you a praise report because I don't know if you ever know what happens on the back end of your work that you do, but it was a huge blessing to me. And that's why Mm. I wanted to come and update you on what happened because I had a faithful church member help me in supporting to buy the property. And then I had probably four or five other church members reach out and helped in different ways. So it was a major breakthrough. And I just loved the way God did it because it was on Sabbath. It was on my birthday And all up until that June, I think it was January, February, March, April, May, June, I was going to churches and talking and there was a bit of progress, but I thought, how is this going to happen in a month? Like I Mm. need money for land and buildings and all the rest of it. And it happened as usual on the 12th hour and it was through the record front cover that that happened. So, yeah, thank you very much for publishing that. Oh, it sounds like like it was definitely a God thing, Tanya. Yeah, totally. It was just mind-blowing to me because we just don't know how God is going to do things. Yeah, We kind of had this small box of I'll go and work and I'll save because in the end I was thinking how can I raise the money and when we lean on God it's about him raising the money and him saying relax, I've got it and I'll surprise you and it certainly, <laughs> certainly was a surprise. So since then, since that miraculous funding that came through 
we have bought property now and we have built two training centres on that land. So we are using one at the moment for a church and the other building we're using for tailoring. So we're engaging young single mothers and school dropouts and teaching them how to tailor and to be sustainable. At the same time, we're teaching in the Bible. We had 110 baptisms from the time I returned to in a year. It's just been incredible. It's been a really busy period with lots going on. And so now I'm back on the same property. I'm trying to raise money to build the recovery centre, the wellness centre, which will be the drug and alcohol recovery, as well as teaching on how to eat stress-free lifestyle and then also giving the men an income-generating activity as well. So that's the second phase. And, yeah, so all of those activities are continuing. So there's been quite a lot done in the past year and a half. It's all happened at once and the ministry grew overnight. Yeah, that's mm. what's happened since the last time I, I spoke to you. So now we have a place to call our head office in our home. And also mm -hmm. a place to minister to and bring in the lost and broken into that space so they can also feel the love of Christ and also get their physical needs met because you can't really study the Bible when you're hungry or you need medicine. So we're doing mm. medical missions as well and helping people get their physical needs met. Yeah. Tonya, just take us back a little bit and remind us what the region is that you're working in in terms of the demographics, what kind of other challenges that the people are facing. You've mentioned there's yeah. Yeah, difficult challenges and broken people. And I remember, I think last time we spoke, it was focusing more on the women, but it's interesting yeah. to hear that you're doing, you're looking at integrating some programs for men as well. So I'd be yeah. interested to hear how that has come about and yeah, what the needs are in the area. Yeah. So the area is called Sarati. It's, if anyone knows Uganda, from Kampala, where the major city is and where you land at the airport, if you take a bus up about nine hours, you get to Sarati. It's kind of the place where not many people want to go. It was affected greatly by the Kony War. It was the Lord's Resistance Army, and they used to take mm -hmm. all the young boys and turn them into boy soldiers and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that area is still trying to recover, and there's a lot of alcoholism, hence the recovery centre. So what I realised, and I've always realised that it's just that I'm a female and I guess, you know, I look more, I can relate more to a woman that's suffering than a man. But as the Bible tells us, the man is the spiritual leader and the one that's supposed to be leading his family, the protector and the provider. And if we don't pay attention to the men, how will they, how are they going to be able to do that? They're, the challenges are that poverty there's no opportunities for men. So they sit around drinking all day out of frustration. And so what ends up happening is they leave everything for the women to do and they then go and drink all day and then they expect to come home and have food ready and that's not the case. Addressing the alcoholism problem and then give them something to do, addressing more of a family unit rather than just women because family is really important to God. So you can't just deal with one and not the other. And so having half of the property for men and half of the property for women, we thought would work the best. And since the men are the drinkers, it's not the women. It's majority of men that are drinking. So if we put the 12-step Adventist recovery program into place, 
in my region, there's no recovery program. So even if someone wanted to give up drinking, there's nowhere to go. I'd love to know, are you equipping the locals there to be able to run these things or are you bringing in counsellors? Yeah, yeah. So now we have a team of five who are our evangelist team. That also started when I got back. It wasn't my plan. Never had that in mind, but it's very necessary. And um, so the Little Blue Shed has been funding through the help of Australia. All of our support comes from the Adventist Church in Australia, so we're very grateful. These guys used to walk around with no food and no water and just go foot door-to-door doing Bible studies and door-knocking. So now we've been able to facilitate their lunch, their water, push bikes. We've got a motorbike and all of that has come from Australia. We've got a PA system We've got a tent, chairs, so we're able to run public meetings and radio preaching. So that's all blown up as well. And they're really called field officers because then we address things like medicine, food. Like as I said before, how are you going to conduct a Bible study when someone's hungry? So we try and address the physical needs. So those guys, they work at the centre as well. And the idea is now we have a missions manager So the idea is to look for locals that have got the calling on their life and the gifting to be able to come in as an operations manager, a programs manager, and then I step out of the picture and the local people will run everything and then I'll be from a distance overseeing. So I think God is using me to set it up and to put all the programs in place and then to keep the relationship between Australia and Uganda going. So then those that are interested in donating or being a part. We had a couple come from SDA Tari Church for four weeks and teach the girls how to tailor men's shirts, which we're selling now in Australia. So there's definitely this crossover and I think that might be my role as I also leave people on the ground because we're very grassroots orientated, like I'm on the ground 24-7 and it gets tiring because you're doing the programming, you're doing the mission team and then you're doing the building And so I'm crying out to God for help to bring me people that will be qualified to be able to run the different departments and then, yeah, I'll move away. So I'm hoping by the end of this year, when I go back, we'll continue building and by the end of this year, the whole team should be on board. So 110 baptisms, that's that's a whole church. That's like, I guess a lot of our churches in Australia would love that experience but what's the spiritual sort of hunger or what what's really attracting these people obviously you're feeding them you're giving them training for jobs but and what does the church what does the church look like as it's on this property with this ministry for the community like is it bigger than those 110 has it attracted other Adventists from around or are you planting or planning to plant other groups or in other communities? Like what's the plan with the church side of things? Yeah, so the 110 came from public meetings. I don't know if you have those here. There, You go out for 30 days and you set up chairs and a tent. Do you have those in Australia or is that an African thing? It's cha- it's changed a little bit from maybe 30 days, but sometimes churches will run that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so... After we do the 30 days, then that's when the people that have been sitting through that teaching decide about the baptism. Mm. Then they also come from the radio preaching. So we do 30 Uh days of radio preaching as well. Um, In my region, we have five branches, SDA churches. So say we did the effort for an area called Camp Swahili. 
then what we do as Little Blue Shed is we get those people that to then go to Camp Swahili and we do the follow-up follow care. So the 110 isn't just in one church. It can be right. branched out to other churches. Now, having said that, though, because we're having a lot of the income generating, we're going to attract a lot of people because other churches don't offer that. So what's currently happening is I'm using one of the training centres as a church and then I'm making a wellness restaurant, which will be open to the public. It's kind of a soft a, a way of soft evangelising to the local community. On Sabbath, that restaurant will also be open for people until we get land and build another building that might be able to house two or 300 or up to 500 people. That's the next step is actually getting, there's the block of land that's I think going to be selling soon next to us. And that would be good to be able to buy that and put a community and youth centre and then maybe do, yeah, a church on that side. And then this other, the building that we're currently using will go back to being another training centre. Africa is different to Australia. I mean, we are so desperate for God to show up on so many, in so many ways because we don't have the social care, the welfare system that you do. People go through many hardships over there, more so than Australia. So we are blessed in that way that you're constantly is in your control, really. So that leaves you vulnerable and God can then step into your life. So you see a lot of that happening and people coming to Christ that way. The biggest thing that I care about is the aftercare because the baptisms can be high in number, but I worry about, okay, how are they going to get transformed and how are they going to get into a deeper relationship with Jesus? And so mm -hmm. our five, who are, we're pretty dynamite actually, but like I said, like Jesus only had 12 disciples and he turned the whole world upside down, right? So I hope we can get another five, which will be females. And then we work full time on the field. So then we branch out and do follow-up care and midweek Bible studies to make sure that they're getting the spiritual food and that we're tracking on them, especially in the first three to six months of their salvation so if they need our assistance that we can be there for them so I really care not so much about the numbers but more about the transformation and the relationship so a lot of our effort and a lot of our budget is going into aftercare like the follow-up care mm. yeah yeah it's an ongoing journey hey yes it is and for us as well it's an ongoing journey <laughs> yeah yeah, for everyone, it's an ongoing journey. I think my patience and everything, God has just really worked that into me through Africa. I think missions is 80% about you anyway because there's yeah. so much that goes on there and, yeah, we all just, yeah. yeah. They often say the people running the mission trip are the ones who are changed the most. <laughs> yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. And it's great to be able to do it for God, like be his hands and feet and, have him use you as a vessel to reach these very dark parts of the world. And where I live, there is a lot of witchcraft. And right where the property is, there's a lot of it. When you walk out, there's you can smell marijuana in the air and people are drinking. And so it's not an easy area, but I think it can be quite I think we're placed, strategically placed, yeah. And when I went to buy the property after I got back the last time, there were three buyers who wanted it and they all fell through, including the local MP. And mm -hmm. so when I came, it, the sale went through. So I just really believe that God purposed that that land for yeah. the little blue shed. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess speaking of the Little Blue Shed, something we haven't rehashed on this episode is the name of your ministry, which is the Little Blue Shed. You mentioned you're doing like addiction programs, wellness programs, you're doing sewing projects, church programs. Are you doing all of this in a Little Blue Shed? Well, the Little Blue Shed is going to be on site and it will be a shop front where the ladies will sell their things to the local community as well as I think it's just it's the icon of the project because it did start in a Little Blue Shed so it's kind of a story. But we're also going to utilise that for counselling and prayer because that's what it originally was when I first started it and then also a safe place for girls to come and get menstrual pads and like hygiene items so they don't have to go on the street and sell their body so they'll come to the shed and be able to get those things and that hopefully will help with teenage pregnancies and HIV and things like that um but no so the little blue shed is just iconic of how it started and I quite like it as a fashion brand name like I I think it's suitable for that Um, but someone told me you should change it to the big blue shed it doesn't have it doesn't have the same ring as the Yeah. I think for a lot of us it's hard to sometimes imagine what you do. Like what does a day and there oh, probably aren't God. there probably aren't many typical days, I imagine, in, in this sort of environment. But what does a sort of typical no. day look like for you? What what yeah. what does it look like being on the ground? Yeah, so my typical day is getting up and praying to God for grace about whatever comes about because so many things go wrong there on a daily basis and are done without any planning. So babies fall sick, got to run them off to the hospital, the hospital's full, need money, so you're constantly juggling money to do X, Y, Z. The roads are terrible, so nine times out of ten you'll get a puncture or you'll get a flat tyre and then being a female also is a little bit hard especially being a white female because a lot of people will come to your age to help you, but it's because they want money. So there's all sorts of challenges. There are just, yeah, very different to here. When I come here, I have a break in my mind from all the stress. There's constant need, whether it be food or medicine or somebody's been thrown out of home or this person is having a mental breakdown or there's just so many things to address. So you just have to be ready for whatever takes place. And after years of being there, you actually start to cope that way. Like you just respond to emergencies. Either you've got it or you don't. If you like so much routine or whatever, it might be a little bit hard. But I think now I've been conditioned into just deal with emergency situations as they come up. When you have, some days can be smooth sailing, but nine times out of 10, the power is off, the water is off people have got malaria there's been a burial like every day there's someone dying and there's a burial so there's shops closed down because of that or traffic jam so just the systems aren't put in place properly which make everything so much harder then you try and do a transaction and the network goes down because there's no power so there's a lot of chasing your tail then the power can be out for two or three days So then you've got to take that into consideration. So many things can get thrown at you from different angles and you've just got to be able to manage them the best way that you can. Yeah. And then find a longer term solution. While you're managing the emergencies, try and find a better way in the future how to handle that. Get a solar panel, set up a medical center so it will be easier or just different ways that you can start to manage so you're not so stressed because it's not good to be stressed either on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. 
Yeah. Yes, this is how God's teaching you patience. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. A lot of patience there. Yeah. <laughs> like you can be in a very long line for the bank and you come back to Australia and you're in nice air conditioning and people are complaining because there's two people in front of them. So <laughs> it's a real mind shift. When I come back, it's like, okay, just it's a just a real different shift that you yeah go into from that world to this world. Yeah. Yeah, Tanya, this is obviously a project that you've poured your heart into over the last few years and you've told us a little bit about what's happened in the last couple of years. What's next for the Little Blue Shed? Like what are you in two years' time, what are your dreams or goals? Yeah. Okay, so I'd like to finish this property, which will then be the space and then maybe get the property next door to build the church because we need a bigger church. And then I'm looking at like a distant rehabilitation centre. So if you come and you do this 12-step program that you need to go for a three-month residential program, you need somewhere to go to. So there's an area that I've been looking at to potentially build in the future. So whoever wants long-term treatment can go and uh, work on the land and get recovery in those three months. So that's the vision for maybe the next couple of years and beyond that I really don't know but that's what I'd really love to do because a lot of people when they come in recovery they have to be removed from their local town because there's too many influences even me God removed me and took me to Uganda to get clean so I understand yeah. that process and um, that'll mean that yeah they need somewhere to go but we can also do activities on that farmland to be able to help people so that's where I'm looking at for the next couple of years and after that I'm not sure however God leads yeah relying so much on God in not only in the situation but to serve other people in such a way what's your favorite characteristic of his that's really become prominent or obvious to you as you get to know God on this journey and as you pour yourself out for other people you're relying on him you're praying for grace every morning to get through the day but What's really become obvious to you about God that you think perhaps other people might be missing if they're not in that sort of environment that you are? Yeah, I think it's his unconditional love, just his relentless pursuit and his unconditional love. Like there's nothing that we can do that will stop God from loving us. And he gives me glimpses of that when I'm doing my work even though someone might steal from me or do wrong by me or there's so many things that happen over there, he keeps showing me that forgiveness and grace is the most important thing and it's a process for everyone. So when someone does something wrong, you don't just cut them off, but you extend love and grace and patience and kindness and that wins them back. So because you're dealing with it every day, you just notice his spirit comes out in more more interactions and more situations than maybe two or three years ago and that's how he's kind of trained me but I think his characteristics of that he's he never gives up you know he never gives up on us even though we might think he does he doesn't and we don't give up on the people that come into the program or the project and that's really his heart for those people so yeah just his unconditional love most people think he's a bad god sitting up in the sky that's ready to cane us at any moment, but that's so far from the truth. He's so patient and so kind and so long-suffering 
that many times I've had to ask for forgiveness so many times and he's been so patient with me. And, yeah, it's just incredible that he is just ready to listen to us and forgive us and show us the right way again. And I find that amazing. As long as we're open enough to to repent and honest enough to confess what we've done, there's always room for transformation and moving past sins. I just feel that his loving presence is always there regardless. Love that. You mentioned that at the beginning that you received some help from getting publicity through the record and we're stoked to hear that. That's awesome. But also we like to end things on Record Live on a practical note. And so practically for those people listening or watching today, um, how can we support your ministry? Is it through prayer? Is it through finances? Is it through coming and volunteering? What is it that you're looking for and praying for? Yeah, okay, so prayer is always necessary. <laughs> but, yeah, the financial part of it is to go back and build that wellness centre and the restaurant. So if anybody wanted to get involved, yes, you can go to info. There's a donate button on the homepage and that takes you straight to the building site and then you can donate through that that link. You can go through and get a tax-deductible donation, like the receipt, or if you don't need that, there's also bank account details. So, yeah, if you feel touched about the work that we're doing, yeah, please go ahead, support us however you can, and also, yeah, prayer is great, yeah. But I just wanted to say thank you to Australia because all of our support has come from Australia, which is amazing. I'm the only Australian missionary in that part of the world. All the rest are from the US, so... Um, It feels nice to have Australians come over and visit and then also support financially to keep the mission up and going. And God will never leave me alone. He's always providing for what we need. And I believe even when I go back now, um, there'll be more provision to put on more field officers and those extra staff members that can come on and help us and things like that. So I'm looking forward to what's going to be happening in the rest of 2024 for the Little Blue Shed and hopefully By the end of the year, we'll be quite established and then anyone who wants to come over for a mission trip, they're more than welcome to come and see what we do. I'd like to run some youth mission trips so they can really come and see what youth go through in Uganda and how blessed they are to live in a country like Australia. I think it would be a really good interaction between the two youth groups. So, yeah, hoping to do some trips once. The building is over and done with. Look, Tanya, I really appreciate you coming on today. You've um, given us an update on the situation. I think you're right. Sometimes we read a story or we even report on a story and we don't always know what's happened after that. So it's really nice to hear from, from you and some of the progress that's being made. And yeah, we just pray as well that God continues to support you. I know he will and your ministry there. And yeah, just want to thank yes. you for coming and joining us today and just sharing some of those updates. It's flown by this half hour. We've run out of time, but it's great. Yeah, it's I great know. to hear about what, what God is doing and the amazing work that he's doing through you and through your ministry there in Uganda. Yeah. Just one other thing too. I'm also doing some work with WCTU, Women's Christian Temperance Union. I don't know if you've heard of that organisation But uh, that was another door that the Lord opened to be able to work with them 
from abroad and then coming. Mm. And that's also got to do with youth and uh, addiction and drugs and whatever. So I just feel blessed that I can work in two countries and make an impact in the alcohol and drug world because I think it's so prevalent in all countries and how it's affecting our families through substance abuse. Mm. Yeah, I'm just really blessed to also have input on the Australian side as well as the Ugandan side. So that's another thing that also happened, which I'm I'm really happy about. Very cool. Well, thank you again, Tanya, for joining us. You're welcome. Hopefully we'll have you back to hear what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, and you you two are always welcome to come over. Sure, it'll be amazing. Let's see the real thing. Yeah, for sure. Live reporting. Yeah, Yeah, live reporting. You're always welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for watching, for joining us today, and we'll see you again on Record Live next week. This is an Adventist media podcast.